This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Dr. Carl, welcome to Better Reading. Dr. Cheryl, thank you very much for inviting me in. Did you call me Dr. Cheryl? Yep. All right, I'll take that. It's a way to make you feel less uh, (laughs) awkward about asking questions because many people unfortunately think that it is a sign of weakness to ask a question. Oh, I don't think that. Ah, yes, but you're enlightened. Many people are scared of asking questions because it thinks it shows them to be having bad breath and varicose veins and all all sorts of bad things Mm. associated with asking questions. Whereas in science, well, there's an old saying. It's not the answer that gets you the Nobel Prize. It's the question. It is so the question. So the question can be really incisive and then help formulate your thinking so you get the answer. So mm. to make people feel less anxious on my various radio shows, I call them all Dr. This and Dr. Cheryl, welcome. Oh, well, you're I, welcoming I, I, me on your yeah. fine podcast, which gets 380,000 downloads a week. Uh, no, not a week. Over uh, its lifetime. That's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Um, I'm going to take the doctor... Um, Title. I might even put it on my business card. But if, and, and, at the very least, my staff now have to call me doctor. See what you've started? Oh my gosh. Dr. Carl, you have. <laughs> Dr. Carl has yeah. been a stable figure in many Australian homes since 1981. Do you know, I reckon I listened to your first radio um, broadcast back when. That's double J 1981. For sure. Mm. I lived on Addison Road in Marrickville and I think you lived nearby. Yeah. Um, Livingston Road, just down the corner mm. there. I used to see you Parker. out and about, but, you know, I didn't stalk you or anything, but ah. I just kept thinking, oh, my God, that's Dr. Carl. Well, I wasn't Dr. Carl back then because in 1981 I hadn't even got my medical degree. And anyway, I'm not a real doctor because in the university system, a medical doctor is not a real doctor. The only person who's a real doctor is someone with a PhD, and I don't have one of those. Well, you might have been just calling yourself Carl. I can't remember. Yeah. But I, it's for me, whatever. Anyway, NASA classified him as a non-astronaut material. They, bo- they wouldn't take me. So I wrote a letter to NASA saying, hi, guys, I got a degree in physics, got a degree in maths, got a degree in engineering when I designed and built a machine to pick up electrical signals off the human retina for Fred Hollows to diagnose certain types of eye disease. Um, I want to be an astronaut. I'm healthy. I'm fit. I'm young. Will you take me? They sent me back a letter, which I've still got, a typed letter and yeah, signed in ballpoint pen by a human being saying, we're all full up and anyway, we only employ Americans. See you later. So uh, shortly after Is that heard, still the case? No. No, right. And so uh, I then heard on Double J that they were going to do a special broadcast on the year of transport and they were going to do something on the space shuttle. And I knew all about the space shuttle, having been fascinated by it, and it was about to do its first launch. So I rang them up and said, hey, uh, I know a bit about the space shuttle if you want to have me as a guest. And they said, sure, come on down. I started talking. And they said, come to the back room. So I came to the back room and still kept on talking in the microphone, didn't freeze up. And they got me in for the actual launch of the space shuttle and it didn't go off. 
it didn't go off because something had died, a fuel cell. And they looked at each other and said, what's a fuel cell? I knew what a fuel cell was. I explained it. And we came back a week later. Um, and then the, this time the space shuttle actually did go off. And afterwards we were out the back having a cup of hippie tea. And one of them said, I really need this hippie tea to clean my kidneys. And I said, look, I'm sorry to disagree with you, but in fact it's the other way around. It's not that the hippie tea cleans your kidneys, but rather that your kidneys filter a quarter of a tonne of blood every day and remove one and a half kilograms of salt, which they then put back into your body at vast metabolic cost and you only throw out 80,000 of a gram each day and this is because God made a mistake and where fish gone wrong. And they said, we need you for a show called Great Moments in Science, which at that stage was a gay lady sitting topless in the studio on a Saturday afternoon playing music to black and white movies on Channel 10. Wow. So that's how a career was launched. Okay, I'll finish my introduction. Dr. Carl has degrees in physics, as he just says, and maths, biomedical engineering, medicine and surgery, and has worked as a doctor, tutor, filmmaker, car mechanic, taxi driver, labourer, TV weatherman, TV weatherman. One and a half years. Right. Didn't you see me? No, I missed no, that one. a lot one. of people saw me between their What toes. channel was that? Channel 9. I shared an office with Tim Webster and Kerry-Ann Kennelly. Oh, right. And on his wall, Tim Webster had these posters saying, Tim Webster fired. And I noticed that there were three different dates. I said, what's the story with those posters? He said, well, it's funny. I left the TV station in the morning, having done the news, and then on my way home, I saw these posters, and that's how I found out I'd been fired. The newspaper <laughs> screamers, yeah. Hey, weatherman is uh, like a fortune teller, don't you think? <laughs> Tell me more. Don't I mean, does it work? Does what work? <laughs> Telling, knowing what's going to happen with the weather. Knowing what's going to happen with the weather, yeah, yeah, because you then know whether it's going to rain or not with a fairly high degree of probability, which is much uh, more accurate than the fortune teller. Okay. Is that what you're asking? I don't yes, understand the is. question. that is what I'm asking. Because oh, yeah, sometimes yeah. I think they get it so wrong, we may as well go to a fortune teller. Uh, if you look at the statistics, they're yeah. right about 70% of the time. And uh, we're getting close to how accurately we can forecast the weather. On one hand, we don't have enough computing power. But on the other hand, there's the butterfly effect. You've heard of that? No. Where the saying goes that a butterfly beating its wings in the Amazon means that when a storm lands on the North American continent, it'll land over here instead of 500 kilometres down the road. So the butterfly effect is literally that a small change to the starting conditions means a big change, you know, like a, a hurricane hitting here instead of 500 kilometres down the road. So that's inherent. The chaos effect is inherent in weather forecasting. So wow. that limits our accuracy. Okay. All right. Let me keep going. Weatherman, medical doctor um, at the kids' hospital in Sydney. Those children must have loved you. Anyway, among the many awards and accolades he has received, Dr. Carl has had an asteroid named after him. Was 18412. 14812. Was named Australian Father of the Year in 2003 and received, I don't know what that's got to do with anything. What? Receiving, being father of the year. I'm with you entirely. I agree. Okay. It's totally right. irrelevant. Yeah, whatever. And received the, me- <laughs> the member of the Order of Australia Award in 2006. Well deserved. Oh, do you think? Well. I do think that we need to value people that yeah. put themselves out there. And I kind of think I really didn't deserve it. Like, where's the worst one is when somebody gets an honour for being the head of a big bank and getting paid. I reckon the people who should get the honours are people who the are the volunteers yeah. who go and do stuff in their own time for the good of the community out of a sense of altruism. I agree. 
Okay, he was officially named, oh, as a National Living Treasure by the National Trust of Australia in 2012. I think that's well-deserving too. You know who else I think is the National Living Treasure? Mm. Thomas Keneally. Oh, yes. Mem Fox. Oh, yes. There's a few, aren't there? We've the, got the some authors. Great there should be yeah. more authors in there mm. because I see books as the light in the darkness mm. and I was very deeply shaped by the librarians at the Wollongong Library. Is that where you grew up? Yeah. Um, the I, I love the library. Were you a kooky kid? Uh, well, yes, because I was a refugee and therefore bullied a lot. Oh, were you <coughs> a refugee? I grew up tell in a refugee me. camp. Okay, tell me about that. I did not know Border that. of New South Wales and Victoria, Bonagilla. Where from? Um, Europe, war-torn mm. Europe. Mm. We were supposed to go to America, but I had a fever due to the smallpox infection, uh, injection and the vaccination. And um, my parents freaked out and then the ship going to America went away and, the next, and they're sitting on the dock with their cardboard suitcases and the next ship that is coming is going to Australia, so we end up in Australia. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's, how, that's, yeah. that's how the random noise happened. And look at you. Look at you now. It well, just goes to show we should be more tolerant. Anyway. Well, in America, um, immigrants, recent immigrants make up 1% to 2% of the population, get 40% of the Nobel Prizes. Is that right? Yeah. Cause Do you think Trump knows that? Um, it's interesting. I kinda, let me answer it this way. If you listen to Trump talking 20 or 30 years ago, he could speak in nested sentences sentences that had a subject and a predicate and verbs and adjectives. He has lost his fluency of speech and has what we call paucity of speech. So when I listen to him talk about anything, I'm reminded very strongly of a eight-year-old kid doing a, re- a school report on a book he hasn't read. It was fantastic. It was great. It was the best thing ever. It, it really changed me. It was wonderful. He speaks in such vague terms. Is that mental health or is it that? I don't, all I know is he's lost the ability to speak in complex sentences that he had 30 years ago. He no longer has it. He's, it reminds me of some of the patients I saw in the psychiatric wards who no matter what you ask them would give the same sort of reply. But Reagan was dementing. Reagan actually had Alzheimer's disease while he was. I know that. But on the other hand, Reagan had more of the, Characteristics that you need to be a real American president. Yeah. Which were number one, he had a young voice. Number two, he had great dress control. And number three, from his years of training as a B grade actor, he could say the lines that he was told to say. That's right. And he had people around him. Um, just going back to Trump, do you think it's because he's over his head? I mean, he is so over his head with his job. Like, then therefore you don't have the language because isn't knowledge power? I do not have enough knowledge. All I know is that he is unable to speak in complex sentences. Yeah. And that he just behaves like a kid a child. who hasn't yeah. read a book and reports on it. But because I think he doesn't know the job, you know, you know that thing that people say, and I, I actually I get it sometimes, imposter syndrome. Mm. Like you wake up in the morning and I've got Dr. Carl coming in. I'm thinking, oh, my God, could I do this? Can I do this job? And you, you think, of course you can. You've got the knowledge. You've been doing it a long time. You're experienced. You're this, you're And you're, you're intelligent. That, and, and, you're you, intelligent. And, and, you, and you can speak in complex sentences. That's right. But do you think with him is he's woken up in a job, <laughs> he must have imposter syndrome so badly because he's woken up but 
in a job that he actually can't do. He's ended up in a job he can't do. All I know is that I, I have never heard him say anything that implies that he truly has deep understanding of what he says. Yeah. Mm, that's true. I agree. But, oh, except for 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Just play back the videos of him back then. It's, it's such a world of difference. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it, it is interesting. It's a shame for the world, though, is what I think. But anyway, let's not go into politics just yet. It's too early in the podcast Well, piece. that's the only way you make the world better because that's where power is. Chairman Mao said that power grows out of the barrel of a gun, which is true in some parts of the world, but it leads to dead people and disaster, whereas politics is the way you can peacefully... Okay, so let me just do this one, and I wasn't going to get into it, but I will. We did have a reader who wrote in and said, Cheryl, I love your podcast, but can you please keep your political views to yourself? But I can't, because it's the essence of who I am. Political views or politics are two different things. Yeah. So one thing I, I discovered when I ran for politics and failed in 2007 oh, is you a do, um, Climate Change Coalition, Independent Senate. I'm um, loving you even more. I, one thing I discovered was that the political brand of the person doesn't really matter. What matters more is the person. Mm. So in my case, I have received so much support from liberal science ministers and zero from labor science ministers. And you think it'd be the other way around. And so really the person is more important than the label. Okay. All right. So I'm, oh, do you know, you just, I just lost it. I was going to ask you a question about Trump. Well, unfortunately, we've gone through too many nested layers. And yeah. like Trump, we've forgotten where we are. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> is it that we've Ah, got... this is what I'm going to ask you. Yes. I had George Saunders in here a few years ah. ago. It was when Trump was elected, mm. an amazing man. And he said to me, and it was like early days. He'd just been in a couple of weeks, I think. And he said to me, Cheryl, I trust the system, right? I mm. trust that the system will work for democracy and for the American people. Now, I think he broke the system. Or was the system, did the system have cracks that somebody could The system was always broken, but it had a superficial air of opprobrium and honesty, and Trump has decided he doesn't even want to do the superficial air. So all the previous... Um, presidents and prime ministers of Australia have lied to their citizens. It's just that he does it blatantly. Yeah. So, for but example, the like... Gulf of Tonkin incident in Vietnam never happened. Never. And yet we went to war over it. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Moving right. right along. Moving right along because I do want to talk about your book and I do want to talk about science. Um, so we've okay. probably used up all of our time. That was no, no, we haven't, Sharon. we haven't. Um, <laughs> do you know what I'm really um, mm-hmm. thrown about is 45 books. Now, do, do you know, I've probably seen and handled or had every one of those books. Wow. Because I have oh, followed your career. You. And as I say, I'm a science buff. I wouldn't have known it was 45, though. That's a lot. Well, with all the to things quote that the cliche, you do, the longest journey starts with a single step, number one. Number two, unlike the musicians who have to keep on creating their oeuvre of music all the time, I've got it easy. All I have to do is plagiarise what the scientists come up with, and they come up with amazing stuff. Okay, there's two things I want to talk about. One is completely selfish and the other one is a global issue. Yeah. The first one is why I I am sick of long-haul travel. I am sick of... Long-haul travel. Like travelling, yeah, because I travel. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're for jet lag. Okay. Well, that'll be useful. But I don't want to go 22 hours anymore with 600 people. I want to go 10 hours. Mm-hmm. When is that going to happen? I feel that plane travel or it, it hasn't. Since it started, it hasn't really progressed so much in terms of advancement. We haven't gone faster. Oh, uh, there's a physical barrier, the sound barrier. Uh, so uh, we gradually went from the 13th, no, the 17th of December in 1903 when the Wright brothers had their first controlled artificial flight. And we, 1969 was a big year. The Concorde, the supersonic jet, the 747, which suddenly brought the price of air travel way down, and we went to the moon. So things have not really got that much better in terms of air travel since 1969. Um, Why? Because of the sound barrier. So you can run an aeroplane up to 85%, maybe 88, 89% of the speed of sound. But if you want to go faster than the speed of sound, whole different ballpark, whole different engineering. The temperatures are a lot higher. You're pushing through the air much faster. The engineering is more complex. It's more expensive. The more things can go wrong. It's okay. just, you, so in my lifetime, I'll be travelling coach for 23 hours forever. Uh, you said two things there, coach, which means economy. <laughs> economy. Um, if you win the lottery, not necessarily, or if you <laughs> order your tickets one year minus one week beforehand, you can fly business class for the price of economy. Okay. All right. right. I'll have to look two. into that. <laughs> um, faster. We're heading for hypersonic, but I don't think it's going to come for mass transit. I think we're sort of stuck in the medium term, but I see a better pathway for us to go, which is to become a space-going race and leave the Earth. Wow. We need to. In That's 2015, scary, the human it? race that got wiped out by a big rock that had impacted the earth would have wiped out between 10 and 70% of the human race, depending on where it landed. So we need to become a space-going race. And we need to and we'll genetically modify ourselves. And in fact, if you follow it further down the path, Freeman Dyson says that the proper shape for a human bag is, forget this meat bag, this meat popsicle that we've got. There's so many problems in it, which I talk about in one of the stories in the book. But rather, the proper shape for a human being is a cloud of iron vapor, the diameter of a planet, weighing 50 kilograms, navigating through space on magnetic fields, basically immortal. Wow, okay. You still have sex because after all, Frank Zappa did say your main sexual organ is your brain. Okay, all right. Well, I'm I'm reassured with that. Yeah, okay. So the other issue, it's a bit more serious, is global warming and the environment and... Mm. I, I've been talking about that, doing a story on that in each of my books. I did my first story on that way back in 1985. Why aren't we listening? Oh, easy. Um, the politicians uh, 
with regard to tobacco and the ozone layer were not bought off and they were able to keep tobacco in its place and they were able to stop the CFCs from being manufactured. Mm. If you read the book Merchants of Doubt by Naomi Oreskes, you'll see how the fossil fuel companies realised what was going on. Now, if you go to the New York Times and then subscribe to that for $15 a month, you can then read the Exxon emails. In 1989, the scientists had decided that global warming was real. So just backing up, it was first hypothesised about a century and a half ago, but people said there's no way we can burn that much coal. They didn't realise. In 1976, the world's largest reinsurance company could see the effects of global warming or the greenhouse effect as they called it back then in their insurance premiums and they and very shortly all the other insurance companies started adding it in. Nothing personal, but if you live in this area, you're going to pay more because global warming is causing more extreme events in your area. They could see it. In 1976, the scientists needed a higher burden of proof and that took until 1989 when they declared that global warming was real, we caused it, it was going to get expensive. There was a two-year window during which the fossil fuel companies argued amongst themselves, and you can read about this in Emergence of Doubt, or just look up the Exxon, E-double-X-O-N, emails in the the New York Times, and they said there's two options. They said, look, definitely this global warming thing, this greenhouse effect is real. It's definitely real. It's real, it's real, it's real. Option one, the right thing is that we change ourselves. They said this. The right thing is we change ourselves from fossil fuel energy companies into energy companies that still sell energy, but different sort of energy. We do the transition because the right thing to do. And God damn it, this global warming is already serious. But on the other hand, in the transition across, some of us will do okay, but some of us big fossil fuel companies won't. We won't make the right transition. Option number two, business as usual and fund a massive disinformation campaign, which they started in 1991 and successfully subverted the governments of the world. Mm -hmm. That's why we are where we are and that's why we need Greta Thunberg to say, stop it, guys, we've got to get back on track, you have destroyed my world. Mm. um, I read all sorts of things and and listen to lots of podcasts, but I listen. I think it was the um, Vanity Fair, The Hive. I don't know if you listen to that one. Great, I really enjoy it. But they had somebody on there saying that we've got fifteen years. Yes and no. Um, When it all depends by what you mean by the sentence, we've got fifteen years. There will still be humans alive in more than fifteen years from now. Mm. But the extent to which the costs are ramping up. That extent is increasing rapidly and it's just going to get more and more expensive and there'll be some sort of big number at 15 years and there'll be another number at 12 and there'll be another number at 18. Uh, the human race will still be here. The wealthier will survive better than the poor. Of course. But we'll still... That's always the case. So. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but the human race will still go on regardless. Okay. Um, I want to bring it back down to community and because for me it does create a a certain level of anxiety. Am I doing enough, you know, and I'm trying all the things, you know, to separate my garbage, to not use glad wrap and not use plastic bags and whatever, whatever. But then when I walk into a supermarket, I am seeing more and more products, produce, particularly fresh produce, being plastic wrapped. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is it seems to be one rule for individuals and one rule for companies. I mean, when is it that we're all going to take responsibility? Where profit- It's easy to answer. I learned this at a cost of a quarter of a million dollars. 
you bring in the politicians that you want. Mm. That's when it changes. Mm. And if you don't go into politics or you don't support the politicians that you want, then the bad politicians will stay in there like they are today. But there are good politicians in there. They're in yeah. a minority. Mm. Oh, in one of my previous books I wrote about how 1% of the population has psychopathic tendencies and because of them they tend to rise because they have no morals. They do. And they can go into politics. But there are good people in both sides of politics and there are even people, I've, I've been surprised by diving into politics, that the label doesn't matter. This side of the, it's that the side individual. Of the, so what we've got is a situation where in the United Kingdom the Conservative Party accepts the science of climate change but the non-Conservative Party does not but in Australia, it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. It's like saying, well, look, because of my politi- political beliefs, I will accept the accuracy of the two times tables and the four times tables. The three times tables, I'm not buying a bar of it because I belong to this political party. The, the three times tables are wrong. That's the situation we're mm-hmm. being, we're, we are in at the moment. And it's a crazy situation. It'll be fixed by different people going into politics. But it's a crazy global situation everywhere. Like it seems to me that, you know, you're looking at the US and the UK and you're looking at us. None of these people really believe in climate change. Naomi Oreskes, Merchants of Doubt, describes a pathway and it works on doubt. There's a simple little sentence, doubt is our product. So the tobacco industry discovered this but too late and it goes like this. Well, there's this, there's this bunch of people who've been smoking this many cigarettes for this many years and we know their family history. And so Professor Cheryl says that they've got a 21% chance of being diagnosed with lung cancer in the next year, but Professor Carl says it's 22%. Well, look, they're disagreeing with each other because they're denialists and therefore they're both wrong and obviously cigarette smoking is good for you. Mm. Doubt is our product. So anytime there's uncertainty with anything, they say, well, that proves that you don't know what you're talking about. But there's uncertainty in everything. It's just a tactic which is very effective. Mm. And read the book. It's depressing, isn't it? Anyway, no, because it's the not? new politicians okay. will be coming Tell me through. Not. <laughs> you, you all, I, I want ran, young people to start coming did through. Did you vote for me in 2007? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, but I've always voted. Um, but not for me in a federal Senate in 2007. Do you know, if I'd seen your name, I can't remember, but I probably would have. All we could afford for advertising was $5,000 for a 30-second advertisement at 3 o'clock in the morning, but wait for it, on a Sunday morning, after the ads for the abdominizer, the non-stick fry pan, and did you know there's these amazing knives (laughs) that'll cut through a shoe, and after cutting through a shoe, you can still cut a tomato with them, and before the ads, before the shows for the Born Again Fundamentalist. See, I might have missed it because I'm one of these people that sleeps for eight hours a night. I love that. You're doing God's work in that. I am. I am. So um, (laughs) I am optimistic that the next generation will fix it. Um, I mean, I am too. I just need them to start. I need them to move in now. But also to support. Them. Yeah. yeah, 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 I agree. And the best thing the politicians ever did was to give the mindset of they're all crooked, there's no point in going mm. there. Mm. So if you look at a person's face when you say, why don't you run for politics, and look carefully at their face, you'll see their eyes narrow and their mouth gets a scowl and they say, no, they're all crooked. Mm. And by not replacing the crooked people, you're leaving the crooked people running the show. Mm. Overwhelmingly, Mark, Mark Latham is one of those. But anyway, that's another story for another time. <laughs> that's another story for another but time. I, I, actually, I heard a funny thing, which was that do you remember when the Prime Minister of Australia lied about babies being thrown overboard? Uh, John Howard, yeah. I do remember okay. that very clearly. Okay. I feel as though hatred in this country okay. started with him. But getting back to that, getting back to that, no, it okay. started a lot longer. Uh, but remember when he said that if 
he had not got into power, you know who would have got into power as the Prime Minister of Australia? Mark Latham. Yes. I do. And I remember I didn't vote. Yeah, I didn't. I voted for the Greens that year because I thought he was a thug. He'd he'd punched a taxi driver. Well, he actually broke a taxi driver's arm. And as a person who drove taxis for 10 years on the night shift, Mm, as somebody who was beaten unconscious and as somebody, me personally, I had two of my friends killed on night shift, I don't have any sympathy for people who attack anybody, including taxi drivers. Oh, I agree. I'm with you. I, I've never but trusted him But maybe he's just either. having a bad day. Oh, yeah, right. Um, okay. Well, we've finished talking about the book, so let's... <laughs> <laughs> just, just quickly, I'm going to touch on it because it's really cute and I want people to, to read it. It's Dr. Carl's Random Road Trip um, and it really is... I really, It's different to the your okay, others, isn't then, it? I'll, it's I'll do a quick summary to, okay, to cover it. the fact we haven't talked about the book at all. Okay, so no. firstly, it's got the same high grade of content... And will be written as before. But yes. number one, it has the advantage that it is beautifully laid out. We were lucky to find a crazy surreal artist to do the illustrations and then an absolutely inspired designer. So it looks just gorgeous. And then there's the augmented reality where you download the modestly named Dr. Carl app. Do you have a Dr. Cheryl app? I don't, but I I'm will. Sorry, I will. I didn't, I, I, I didn't know what augmented reality yeah, was until I saw you, you this morning. Is you download the app, you aim yes. your phone or device at the book, and suddenly there's a little mini-me popping up like Princess Leia, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, but with higher technical <laughs> quality and not asking you but giving you stuff. And there are videos of me all the way through a couple of dozen, and there's all this stuff. Uh, there's probably more words in the augmented reality than there are on the paper book. But yeah. the paper book still works by itself, but you get all this extra stuff. So in the story about how we nearly got wiped out by a rock, you see the video of the rock coming past, missing us. Oh, look, I think it's fantastic. Do you know what I also think? I'm starting to sound like Donald Trump now, but do you know what I'm st- also starting to – what I also think? It's for all age groups. It's for adults. But I can also share this book with my nine-year-old great nephew. Yeah. The way I? it works is a smart eight-year-old or an average ten-year-old can read it. And I'll tell you something funny that's happened. I've been giving talks around Australia to schools and everywhere for ages. Mm. In the last ten years, there has been a major change, and I don't know why, which is that after a talk, the vast majority of the people who get up to ask questions are kids under the age of ten, and I don't know why. And they ask questions like, so Dr. Carl... With the black hole um, having a certain size, well, that, that's obviously wrong because a black hole has no size and what we're seeing is the interaction of the infalling matter with the event horizon. Mm. Is that correct? I say, you just answered it yourself, kiddo. Oh, I love that. Love there, are, that. There, there, are, there, there are eight and nine-year-old kids asking this sort of stuff. I'm very thrilled to see what the new generation is coming through and so long as they get into politics, the sooner the better, I think we'll be in good hands. We will. Dr. Carl, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape 
imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.